0: This is Ian Trottier for Winwood Radio Discussions of Truth. 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday. Riveting, controversial, and many times groundbreaking. Yes, I've gone there before. An incredible show for you today. As I aim to bring to you each week, last week, author, journalist, and talk show host, Alexis Brooks. You can find Alexis's work interviewing Dan Rather and Sean Stone. Those are two of the more notable people that that have joined her program, uh, including Dick Gregory, who is an activist and comedian. Anyway, Alexis joined us last week to discuss various things, but in particular her recent book, as of uh, about three years ago, Conscious Musings, Contemplations to Transform Life and Realize Potential. It was a number one selling bestseller for Amazon in the category of sociology, of social theory, in its debut in 2014, so that's a little more than three years ago. The week prior to that, Discussions of Truth was joined by David, Dr. David Jacobs, who is an American historian, former professor at Temple University, who has taken up an investigative agenda into abductions. That would be members of the human race who claim to be abducted, have been abducted by an extraterrestrial force or being. And what's interesting is that there was a little bit of crossover there with a conversation with Alexis and uh, 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 Dr. Jacobs in that Alexis, and and I wasn't expecting this, but Alexis had actually brought into the conversation um, beings that are hybrid. So this stems from... Uh, and now rescheduling an Oxford University lecturer who, uh, because of some technical issues, we were unable to connect with. But Dr. Yonghae Chi claims, and he, he lectures in Korean uh, at uh, at the uh, school there in, in England. He claims in his newest book that alien visitations and end of humanity are bringing about a species that is a hybrid of and extraterrestrial and human beings. Okay, so really not expecting that, but Alexis folded that right into the conversation in that she has actually, in her travels, and she's traveled the world, uh, speaking and discussing, discussing her research, she has actually encountered what has been told to her are hybrid children. And she brought up two different cases on this program last week. Now, folding back into David Jacobs, who joined her the week prior, David was an American historian. History of America was his uh, scholarly endeavor, but uh, but somewhere along that road he began diving into abductions. And this is what Dr. Jacobs mentioned. Now, Dr. Jacobs is cited by Young Hei-Chi at Oxford. So it was interesting to have Dr. Jacobs join the program when, in place, uh, Young hei was scheduled to join the program. But regardless, Dr. Jacobs talks about... Extraterrestrial visitations on the planet and abducting members of our race, assuming you are of the human race, uh, abducting members such as you and I, unless you are of an extraterrestrial race, and creating a hybrid species. With those reproductive liquids, if you will, not to be too graphic, from the being of their choice. So this is evidently happening in and amongst our race and our planet. So the question there for becomes, how are you to distinguish... What is human and what is not human? Now, Alexis couldn't really pin it, but she said in the second example that there was something about that child that was different. And she asked, I believe, the mother and the child to join her on stage. You have to go back and listen to that episode of last week with Alexis. But if this is something that is happening in 2019... In the world that we all know, what will the future be like? Well, none of us can foretell that. and None of us are Nostradamus. Uh, but this is of various conversations of very high-level academia today. Now, the week prior to that, Former BBC employee and decades mature, if you will, of the alternative news angle, David Icke joined the program. And if you haven't heard that episode, I urge you please to listen to it as he describes what is happening as a spider's web. Yes, you can relate that also to a terminology of the matrix. It's a matrix. Whether it's being manipulated by human beings on purpose or it's being manipulated by an extraterrestrial force, or whether it's simply just energy taking form of one way or another remains to be seen. But what we do know is that we are able to dissect the various fibers of that web. And one of those fibers that I began to dissect was of the research of Stanford-Hoover fellow Anthony Sutton. And let me now insert No More Lies, because that is the name of the book that I wrote last year. And come spring, it is in contract to be published. In so much that that publisher is the very publisher that Sutton went to. To get his work published as he exited the faculty at Stanford. It is a small publishing company out of the state of Oregon. If you are unfamiliar with the work of Anthony Sutton... He will direct you to a school within the overall body of Yale University. And it is not a school recognized as a school per se by the institution overall. What I mean is that it is a fraternity, to use more of a layman's terms, based upon a school of thought. That derives through direct lineage of Germany. And I believe it is Bavaria rather than Bohemia. But I may stand corrected. Adam okay? that is a uh, That is a direct philosophical link. Now, more directly would be the theories of Frederick Hegel. So how did I even begin down that road, ladies and gentlemen? How was it? Because I happened to be in South Florida, which I still am, when the Zika virus came ashore and scared the wits. And uh, to their dismay, not the mosquitoes. The local population was running rampant in various places hither and thither uh, because of the scare of contracting the Zika virus through a mosquito bite. About 18, 20 months after that, someone I had befriended, not face to face, but someone who I had spoken to. The typewriter had been running down a trail of uh, man-made mosquito plants and one in particular in the Florida Keys, and she was opposed to it. She lost her life while uh, scheduled to visit with the EPA in Washington, D.C. Yes, about 18, 20 months after that Zika scare. Coincidence? No, not not at all. She was found floating face down in the swimming pool of her hotel room the morning before, just, just a couple of hours, a few hours before she was supposed to meet with the EPA as she was delivering signatures. Her name is Mila DeMur. Rip Mila. But her cause was not unnoticed by those such as, for instance, me, who say, wait a second, can a mosquito be used as a weapon? If I'm to mention the name or the word weapon, you immediately, I'm sure, think of a gun. But how if you are if you're crafty enough, how could you use a mosquito as a weapon? Could that be so sinister? Could there be groups and people that walk among us as human beings, it would be so sinister as to infect you on purpose with a disease and cause an ailment to you. Could it then force you to go down to the local health institution, i.e. clinic or hospital, and find a cure for that? Governor Rick Scott, state of Florida, happens to own or owned, at least last time I checked, which hasn't been in a while, a couple years, owned a pharmaceutical company. And a mosquito insecticide company. And people were outraged about that. A very small, minuscule population was outraged about that. They took offense to it, but their voices didn't carry much on the local news channels. Hence, stop mass media or impeach mass media and both those links. Do go to the same place. But that is one of the things that we are all about here on discussions of truth. And therefore, it folds back in to this school and train of thought at uni- Yale University. Anthony Sutton spoke of the Hegelian dialectic, which basically means controlling the opposites. So if I can inject you with a, 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 a virus it was discovered in the 1940s by the Rockefellers in, in the Uganda Forest of Africa, and I own the patent... To cure you of that virus, and this is hypothetical. I'm just just kind of painting a picture for you. And I also in control, and I own the, the the insecticide that was used to kill the mosquito. I'm I'm winning either way. I'm cashing in when you go to the hospital because you've been infected, or that portion or percentage of the population that's been infected, and I'm cashing in because I'm spraying the entire population with 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 my herbicide or or, or, or insecticide rather. Hegelian dialectic controlling opposites to dominate, to dominate the nature of the outcome, to manipulate. And therein lies a root word, monopoly, that the Rockefeller, J.D. Rockefeller, was accused of being, and uh, I believe proven as running Standard Oil was a monopoly. And what's interesting enough, before we bring on today's guest, what's interesting enough, what's interesting enough, folks, is that when that, that oil company, Standard Oil, broke up into, what was it, five, five different companies, he retained the majority ownership of all those different companies. That's a study out of UC Berkeley. <laughs> Antitrust. He retained the monopoly to retain it intact. And unless signs stand corrected, write in, email in, call in, whatever, I'll bet you that still stands today. The United Nations stands on ground that the Rockefellers donated. You don't think they pull any strings in the UN? I believe you would be wrong. Uh, let me mention Tom Hartman coming onto the program. That'll be next month. That'll follow a very special guest, high ranking. A former official at the uh, Pentagon, uh, Karen Kwiatkowski. She's got a master's degree in government from Harvard University. She will be joining us July 3rd. That happens to be next week. That will be followed by Tom Harbin. And before, again, I bring on my first guest, or rather our only guest today, I'll bring on today's guest. The social cost of guns. Tom Hartman, the most popular progressive radio host in America, and a New York Times best-selling author, reveals the real history of guns in America and what we do, or excuse me, what we can do to limit both their lethal impact and the power of the gun lobby. The hidden history of guns and the second amendment. That's one of the recent books that Tom has written, and we'll be discussing that with him again. He is a New York Times bestselling author, and according to Talkers Magazine, which i never heard of, ranks Tom as the number one progressive talk show host in America with a cumulative audience of 6.5 million listeners, that's excluding his TV audience. I shall return with today's guest, Command Master Chief. Of the U.S. Navy, Leon R. Walker. He'll be talking about his book, Broken: The Survival Instincts of a Child. Stay tuned. All right, I am back. This is Winwood Radio. Every Wednesday, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I bring to you Discussions of Truth. I am the host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. The Both of those handles are I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Command Master Chief Leon R. Walker Jr. joins us today. Leon, how are you? Doing fantastic now, Leon. Uh, tell listeners, tell listeners a little bit about yourself. You're originally from oh, uh, Cleveland, Ohio. I understand, but uh, w- tell us a little bit about, about yourself. What where you are? What you're doing right now?
1: Yeah, from Cleveland, Ohio. Um currently. Uh, I'm an author, and speaker, uh, an advocate for um, sexual assault, um, molestation. Kids have been in you know in those situations. Uh, speak about PTSD. Uh, inspire people. I'm building my new camp for kids, 13 to 18, traveling the country is, as far as I can go. I served 32 years in the Navy. I'm a father of three. I have three Godchildren. I'm single. And this is what I do now. I inspire people, talk and talk about, you know, present my story and, and, and inspire people and help people out. So that's my goal. That's my, my plan. And that's what I plan to do for the rest of my life.
0: Fantastic. That's, that's what it's all about, is, is is strengthening the community around us and building this country uh, in the best way that we possibly each can and, and helping uplift the world around us. Now tell us, uh, Leon, what is a Command Master Chief?
1: So Command Master Chief is the highest you, highest rank you can achieve in any branch. All branches have a Command uh, Sergeant Major, Command Master Chief, uh, Command Chief, Master Sergeant, and so forth. But every branch of the service, has a uh, uh, enlisted person that uh, oversees and takes care of the enlisted people. So you have enlisted people, and you have officers. Officers are those that have gone to college and then join the military, or plan to go to college uh, while they're in and become an officer. So the next person in charge of all the enlisted people is the command master chief or the top senior leader.
0: Okay, and and what was it? Uh, you've got you've got a you've got an incredible book that 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 motivates and helps build and portray how you built your life and your character, and it speaks volumes to what one man can do as long as they stay focused and driven and they can pull themselves up, or or woman for that matter, and pull themselves up and build themselves an incredible, incredible life. But before that, I want to ask you why you chose the United States Navy.
1: Uh, great question, Ian. I chose the Navy because uh initially it was the army because my father and my uncles were in the army and then it became the marine because my brother was a marine and i just liked what he looked in uniform but when i went to talk to the marine recruiter he kind of like blew me off and uh that day the army recruiter was he didn't look so happy to be in the army and that kind of turned me off and next you know the navy recruiter called me down the hallway as i was walking out of the building and uh, i turned around and and that was it we started talking he started showing me pictures uh, and traveling and, and things like that, and the ships and the submarines, and it just appealed to me. The military all has always appealed to me since I was a child because of my family members that were in the Army and Marines. So I knew I was going to the military probably around nine years old. But moving back forward to the uh, recruiter, he called me, the Navy recruiter called me, spent a little time with me, made me feel important, and then, then uh, that's how I made my decision.
0: So if we have any listeners out there that are, that are considering – uh, maybe high school or or or, or early twenties or you know whatever they are considering. Y- you 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 would put in a plug there for the for the Navy if they're uh, contemplating what branch to join.
1: Yeah, well, since I'm Navy, I'm biased. But uh, <laughs> any branch of service is a really good way to go. You know. Oh, you okay. Even if you just go, if you just go four years and get out, your college is paid for. For those four years, you have a job. You have medical benefits. You have dental benefits. You have life insurance. You know, they work with you for your credit. You got some travel going on. So the thing is, when these kids turn eighteen, uh, they're not and if they don't go to college uh, and they're not in the military, they get a regular job. They have to pay all those benefits on their own, and those benefits are very, very expensive. Aside from if you go in the navy or the military, or the army, whatever branch, the, the benefits are not that expensive. But these young men and women out here when they decide not to go to college, just hang out. They still you can't be on your parents' um, insurance, life insurance, or medical benefits anymore because you're grown. And but if you go to college, you can stay on that until you're twenty six. So it's better just to go out and get your own and, and get, get your own money for
0: college and have your own job. You have your own life. Now, now, Leon, let's get in. Let's get in a little bit to about about your book. You've got you've got a thirty six chapter book here, um, and uh, and the title of the book is is Broken: The Survival Instincts of a Child. And you know, what, I I went to the I, I I went I the the last quote, the last quote in in your book, and that's on page two fifty nine. It, it, it really opened my eyes, and I loved it, and I'll read it for listeners. And the quote reads, people who wonder whether the glass is half full or half empty are missing the point. You want, do you want to complete that sentence or a quote for me, Leon? The glass is refillable. Wow. <laughs> now, how did you come up with that?
1: Well, it's, it was, it was not, it's not mine originally. Uh, I do a lot of reading. And I've seen a lot of quotes. I made up, even made up my own quote. So at the time, I was looking to make up my own quote. But I saw that one, and it was just so powerful. I can't remember where I read it at. But I said, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because for years, Ian, I've seen the, the same quote. You know, people think that they, it the glass is either half empty or half full, and they leave it at that. But like the quote says, the glass is refillable. So it doesn't matter if it's half empty or half full. You're not either or optimistic or pessimistic. It's good to be optimistic. But some people are pessimistic. But it's refillable regardless of how you look at it. It's empty. When it's empty, you can refill it. If it's half full, you can refill it. So i go with that. It's refillable.
0: And if it's broken, it's fixable. If it's broken, it's fixable. That's right. <laughs> okay, so Leon... Like me. Right, okay. So tell us, how is it How is it that you... you, you, you how is it that you decided to write a book about your accomplishments? You said 32 years in the Navy, and then you you, you, you spent, of course, the, the years prior to that. What drove you to write this book, Leon? So this is my first book, and I'll have about four more. This, this book is about my
1: childhood, which was very dysfunctional, as you know. And then the next book, the books talk about the um, what happened from me being uh, dysfunctional and having addictions. My first two ten years in the Navy. The second book talks about that. Uh, all of my addictions came out. But anyway, I, the book came about by uh, a friend of mine was I was at the barbershop, shop, and we were talking about my life, snippets, and he wanted to interview me. So he interviewed me, and he said, "Man, you have uh, why don't you just write a book?" I never wanted to write a book. I tell the listeners there's a lot of things we don't know that we can do with us until somebody until somebody gives us that that, that idea and say, "Hey, why don't you try to why don't you try to rodeo? Why don't you try?" roller skating or why don't you try writing a book? It just takes those magical, powerful words to get somebody to think twice about what they're doing and then do it. And so that's how I did that. But uh, the book was, I was moving along real slow with editing and what made me really push it out there was that I had a student. I was a teacher for two years. I had a student who came to my classroom every Friday is my motivation Friday these speeches to him. And she waved at me and I waved back. And I'm like, why are you waving? And she told me she put her sleeve up on her arm and I, she showed me that she had been cutting her arm. So she tried to commit suicide. And I said, you know what, I need to talk, talk not only talk to these kids more, but get this book out here soon because I need these kids to know that they can survive just like I did. But, so, yeah, the, the, the fact that the young lady was trying to commit suicide and not out her in a way um, made me push forward on my book to get it out there sooner so people can read it and understand that they can survive, too.
0: And what's been the reception so far?
1: It's been pretty good. Um, I've, I've got about 42 five-star, four-star, five-star reviews on Amazon. Uh, now that I have a publicist and I'm doing podcasts, radio stations, TV shows, uh, the book is selling more. And it, to me, it's not about the book that's going to happen, but I want to be able to talk to young men and women and middle-aged and even older men and women about my life, my lifestyle, what happened, how I can survive. It's basically, a, it's a book about uh, abuse and the sociology of abuse. So I want people to know that you can survive because a lot of people go through what I went through and never make it. So it's doing pretty good right now. the reviews are going up slowly because uh, it takes time for people to read the book, but I have some great reviews so far
0: now you you talk about you talk about uh, addiction uh, you you're talking about substance abuse there to addi- addiction in that regard
1: Well, no, in the beginning as a child, yeah. my addictions were uh, to sex and, and porn, uh lying, and then it became uh sex, porn, lying, drinking, smoking things like that uh being a verbally abusive uh, mentally mentally abusive that's what I had become my first 20 years in the military because all my demons had started coming out as I got older because I never got any help I never got any therapy I just plowed through the Navy I did well in the Navy but I was suppressing all of my addictions and all of my my um egregious ways and all of my demons I kept them suppressed because I didn't want them to come out but they would come out in my relationships
0: okay so give us an example I'm sorry. Give us an example, Leon.
1: Uh, an example of so for instance
0: Were you married? Me, uh,
1: being, uh, yeah, I was I'm not, not anymore, I'm divorced. And the fact that I was abused, I was I went to bed and that was a part of being abused. Um I was addicted to porn by eight years old and so I, I carried those up into my adulthood and I started, you know, watching porn while I was married or when I was divorced or when I was in a relationship. But the fact that my female cousins were the first two people that molested me,
0: wow.
2: I
1: had a a level a level of disrespect towards women. So that came out when I got older. So that's when I became verbally abusive because I always said to myself, "I'll never let another woman abuse me like that." And even though the women I was dating weren't necessarily necessarily abusers, I was just so angry. So. Being abused sure. and being molested, I had anger issues as an adult, as a child, and, and as an adult. So it screwed up my relationship because I had become verbally abusive and I had become a cheater. I didn't have any morals, you know, things like that. So those are the examples I can give
0: you. Now this is a that this is a uh, I, I don't know the statistics, but uh, the statistics, but I would assume that this is a r- more rare uh, example that you're speaking of, Leon. Most people that talk about being sexually abused. Uh, uh, it's the it's the it's the reverse gender. It's it's uh, it's young women being abused by their father or uncle or or so, another male figure in their family. You're right. saying in your case it's the opposite. Well, what happened?
1: And uh, is, is, here's the thing: statistics show that one in one in three little girls will be molested or raped by the age of eighteen. One in six little boys will be molested or raped by the age of eighteen. Eighty percent of those cases go unreported. And ninety percent of the perpetrators are people that you know or respect, and so um yes, I was a statistic in every category, however, young men are molested and raped also, just like young young women, you know, but a lot of people don't believe that because a lot of young men mostly don't report it because it's like watched, I report it? I look stupid if I report it. People make fun of me if I, if I report that a girl took advantage of me. We don't look at it like that because it's a macho thing. We hold it in, and I was one of those young people, young kids that held it in.
0: Wow, Leon. Okay, so you you held it in until what? Until you got into your? How old were you when you released? 60 years old. I'm 53 now. I did, I held
1: it in until I was transitioning out of the Navy. Where when you transition, when you're about to retire, I, reti- I retired in 2015. That's the first time I ever got any help about it because I was required to talk to psychologists and psychiatrists about my military career and about my childhood, and that's when it came out in 2015. Prior to that, the first incident, I was five years old when I was molested. I held it in for 45 years, never said anything, but I acted it out in my relationship. So people out there that are listening, if you've ever been molested or raped, you have to get some help. You have to report it, even if it's the firefighter you report, your next-door neighbor. You have to tell somebody because if you don't get any help, you're gonna act it out in your in your relationships. Thank God I didn't molest or rape anybody as I got older, but people do that because they want revenge. They become vindictive. So you have to get help. It's crucial.
0: But you you still it sounds like maybe you held a grudge against or towards other women as you were as you were a a, a maturing adult.
1: That's exactly what it was, what it was. Ian, I, I held a grudge towards them. I didn't want them to. Tell me what to do. I felt like that they were trying to give me advice. I felt like they were bossing me around. I didn't like that. I shut down. I didn't want to hold hands. I didn't want to hug. I didn't want to fall in love. So, yeah, I was uh, I was vindictive and I, I held a grudge against my. That was just my cousins. Now I was raped by my babysitter wow. as well.
2: Wow. So,
1: yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and this that was incredible. around nine years old. Nine years old.
0: So this is a lot for anyone to really kind of unless i've been assuming unless they've lived it it's really hard to to grasp that and understand exactly the emotions and 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 what goes on with that type of thing let's just say for instance that somebody is on the verge of coming out about it they're listening to you they're saying you know hey this has troubled me for x amount of time uh, days weeks years what would be the first step for them i mean it, maybe they feel like it's too much to call the police. They don't want to involve. What? What's the? What's the easier step for them if they don't feel comfortable calling well, the, the
1: police? Easy, yeah, the easiest step for that Ian, is to is to confide in somebody that you love, somebody that you trust, and somebody, especially somebody that won't judge you. That's why we have a lot of problems letting mm. it out because we don't know who to tell. But you got to figure out. Everybody has a close friend. That they can rely on, that they that they can trust. So you have to tell that person, and then they'll eventually help you get through to the next person and get some help. I didn't want any help. I was afraid of help because I knew that I, once I started talking about it, I would break down. But let somebody know, even if it's a parent, you gotta let somebody know because if you don't, it's gonna affect you for the rest of your life. If you don't, it's gonna it's gonna ruin your relationships. It's gonna ruin your outlook on women or men, whoever. Uh, whoever the perpetrator was, it's gonna make you hold in that fear. You're not gonna open up. You're not gonna want to be in a relationship. I didn't want to hold hands. I didn't want to cuddle. I didn't want to do any of that. So this is on into my adulthood. Had I got help in my 20s and 30s, I would have been a different person, and I would, would not have cheated, and I would have probably still be married. So, to find somebody that you trust and somebody that won't judge you, and allow them, they'll allow you to talk it out and get it out of your system.
0: Leon chapter 19 you go into an individual that was uh, that identified as being a homosexual and the title of that chapter is the gay mentor i think in the military and maybe it's become more uh, more accepting today but historically um, a homosexual of either gender in the military was didn't seem to be very acceptable. It was. Did we, do you speak about a mentor in the in, in the Navy, or is this someone else? And tell yeah. us about this person. No, he, he was uh,
1: he was uh, a childhood friend of my. Uh, he's my mother's friend. And when I was a child, I was probably eleven years old. Uh, my parents had gotten divorced. We were on the verge of losing our house, and we wound up losing our house. That's in the book. But um, my mother brought him in when my father was required to leave the house because they were divorced. And he was a prominent figure in my life. He was a, That was a pivotal point in my life where I needed a male figure. I had my father, but he was across town. Uh, and He wasn't in the household like he had been previous years, the last, the previous 10 years. So Ch- Chaz is the gay mentor that I talk about. And he talked to me about life. He talked to me about school. He talked to me about parenting. He talked to me about divorce. I didn't, at 11 years old, you don't understand divorce. You just want your parents to be together. But he helped me out through that. He coached me along, and he, he made me feel like uh, I was important. He made me feel like everything would be okay. And, and talking to him, I felt like a little adult. You know, I didn't know who else to go to. My mother was going through her issues. But Chad was my first mentor, and he was 100% gay. Never touched me, never uh, propositioned me, never came on to me, anything like that. But he talked to me about life, and at that point is when I needed that the most.
0: And how how did that carry on through your uh, your military experience, if it did at all? Did, did that did 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 you find did you find yourself encountering uh, other other sailors or, or soldiers that, that did that help shape you in any way uh, in regards to your your acceptance of uh, uh, a, a person's uh, sexual sexual preference or sexuality? Yeah, it helped me uh, understand that people are people. Don't ever judge people because
1: they're gay or or transgender. He taught me a lot about that. Um, and being and what, what thing, one thing for sure, you have a lot of homophobic people in this world. Had I not had that uh, mentorship by Chaz, I may have been homophobic later on in my life. Interesting. I didn't know anything about it, but he explained to me that hey, men are men, women are women. They like who they like. Don't judge people because. Another man likes another man or a woman likes another woman. Don't judge them. And I got that education at 10, 11 years old. So uh, when there was other people that I would encounter in the military, they would come to me and talk about their thoughts and there and, and the things that, the, that they were dealing with within, within themselves. And I was young enough to understand, and I was young enough, strong enough to, to uh, be able to talk to them and tell them that it's going to be okay. That's who you are. If you're gay, you're gay. If you're bi, if you're by, whatever. But I got that education early on, so I never judged people.
0: Now, Leon, you also bring in a, a, another element, and this would be a uh, a, a, a racist uh, element, uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan in a suit. Talk to us about Ku Klux Klan in a suit. That's uh, chapter yeah, so 25. We, right.
1: When, when my mother lost the house, my father was gone. We were headed to foster care. Uh, they considered my mother unfit, so she was unable to take care of us. But my father had uh, moved to... Uh, Uh, more of an inner-city neighborhood, and he only had one bedroom. So, we were like... Me and my my sister and I were in limbo, not knowing where we are going to be in the orphanages or foster care, so we had to go to court. And going to court, we had to face the judge, and back then it was different. So, we would go up to the judge's bench, and he asked me, who do you want to live with? And I would say, both my parents. And he tell me that you can't do it. And he started yelling at me and my sister, and yelling at my father and I thought that was very unprofessional. I had never experienced that never been to court. But it made me think about, you know, Ku Klux Klan separating families back in, you know, Mm -hmm. the 40s or 50s or 60s, whatever the case may be. And that's what I saw when I saw him at the bench. Although he was dressed in a suit, I felt like he was just trying to separate the families send me and my sister to foster care and send my father on his way. Mm -hmm. So that's what I saw. But it didn't happen that way. We wind up moving back with my father and not going to foster care uh, because he did, find a place for us to live it was all three four of us in the same place we had one bedroom so we had to make it do but um luckily the the social worker wasn't that um mean like a judge and uh she uh, approved our house and said it was fit for us to live there although it wasn't she said it was fit for us to live there and so we we did and i never had to go back and see that man in court again that judge this and- was scary to me
0: Leon, do you, do you, do you feel like he was he was being racist towards uh, towards uh, towards you and your sister? Well,
1: at the time, I, I just was upset and scared because I yeah. thought we were going to be taken away, yeah, and had not had my father not found a place to live. We were we were going to be taken away and put into foster care. But I didn't look at it as racism. I just looked at it as if you got to remember back then is when yeah. the movie Roots came out. So that's what I was thinking about at the time. Here's a black family in front of a white man, a white judge. And he's trying his best to separate us and put us up. But that was my vision, because I just come off to watch the movie Roots. So that's why I had that vision.
0: What was the movie? The movie's Roots?
1: Roots. R-O-O-T-S. Remember the movie, Roots?
0: I don't think I ever saw it.
1: Oh, yeah. It's um, it, it, it's a deep movie. It came out in the 70s, but it was very a very, very impactful movie if you get a chance to watch it.
2: Very okay. impactful.
0: Oh, so so uh, leon you you then you, you've got some you've got some very interesting uh, things here in in this book in, in chapter thirty one uh you talk about uh you talk about someone calling uh you uh, jungle negroes and porch monkeys well what is that
1: oh just, re- just those were the de- the racist terms that yeah. i was i've heard i was told but i was never really called that but i knew I heard my parents say that the white people in our neighborhood or, or across town considered yeah. uh, consider us uh porch monkeys and jungle negroes and so those were things that I i, I heard often. Right. Uh, never used it, but we looked at it as if it was a joke. But if you know the older I got was like, Wow, that was racist to know, that was even to, to hear people say or think of us as that it was kind of painful to know and so that's why I put that in the book because that's what they considered us.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you, th- this is this is literally for listeners to try to identify of the various struggles that y- you were encountering uh, a- as a child. I mean, you, you've you've already brought up one uh, the, the sexual abuse is is it, it, frankly it's very astonishing uh, to me. It's astonishing to hear that but but it's 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 your reality and then coupling that you, you were raised in in a, in, a, in 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 Cleveland, Ohio and uh, and in a very impoverished uh, uh, socially economic uh, challenged neighborhood um, you found you you were smart and in, and in, in, in also lucky right and and that and that this navy recruiter Took a liking to you. You took a liking to him. Um, but you were also sent some 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 really nice blessings. Uh, for instance, that mentor was was a wonderful blessing for you in your life. You 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 held firm to your focus and and you got yourself you got yourself into the Navy you overcame those struggles with those uh, perhaps the, the the survival instincts uh, that 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 you inherently received um, uh, uh, from your parents um, and and you got yourself into the in, into the Navy but not only did you get yourself into the Navy Navy you gave you gave the Navy a few decades of your life what's the biggest thing that What's the biggest thing you got out of the Navy? Because now, Leon, thing? now you're a motivational speaker. Now you're an author, and you're you're clearly you're clearly changing people's lives. But in in the Navy, well, let's go back to that. What was the biggest thing you'd gotten out of the Navy?
1: Well, so Ian, the biggest thing I got a lot. I tell you, man, and for the listeners, there's so much you can get out of any branch. I'm biased because I was Navy, but. The Navy built my confidence. They built my self esteem. They gave me. A, they gave me a sense of of, of self worth. They gave me an identity. I was uh, put in positions in positions to lead people when I was unfamiliar about leadership. When I was unfamiliar about other races. Coming from Cleveland, I had never seen Filipinos. Coming from Cleveland, I had never seen. We never had Mexicans in our neighborhood. So, you know, you get exposed to different cultures, different countries. Uh, the Navy changed my life. Navy made me who I am today. Navy puts you in a position that you have to pretty much grow up overnight. When people don't think they can do it, but you're in that, you're in an environment of people that are thriving. You're in an environment of people that are come from different walks of life. People that come from you know from orphanages, from foster homes. People come from backgrounds like I came from a dysfunctional background. I had, I had friends that were also molested the rate too. So I was put in a in a position to succeed, and I never looked back. So Navy gave me the ability to grow. Uh, it, it increased my my mindset uh, it made me feel confident it gave me a sense of belonging and a sense of uh, um, improving my self-esteem so it was a big 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 difference for me
0: I, i'm assuming you traveled the world uh, with the u.s navy did did being in the Navy give you an, a, a different appreciation for uh for for the values of of, of the country
1: it sure did because you got to think about it and we go to countries that are considered third-world countries. We go to countries that uh, don't have any running water. They're, they're poor. We go to countries that don't have respect for kids. They kill kids. They, they beat they beat kids up. We go to countries that don't have respect for women. We go to countries that if a woman is caught cheating, she gets her head cut off or she gets stoned at death. We go to countries that are, are filthy, that are, people are dying. They don't, they don't have electricity. They don't have the things that we have over here. We take it for granted. So, yeah, my eyes were a lot of things about other countries and how good we have in the United States and how safe we are over here.
0: Yeah, security is a big one. I, I, I think through the relatively short, uh, historically speaking, uh, history of the United States. We've had some 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 wonderful Americans. Uh, what? Who would be who would be an American that comes to your mind as being uh, someone that you uh, that you respect and 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 somewhat, uh, uh, if you can use the term, idolize? If, give listeners an idea of 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 a, of a great American. It can be at any point in time throughout the history of the country. As someone that comes to your mind right now as being a person that resembles uh, the, the the American value. Use in a great way, in so much it makes a difference to you and who you are.
1: Well, I've always picked out four people uh, that are on, or like pretty much three different sides of the world: uh, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, United States, and then you have Mother Teresa, of course, and Gandhi. So I like those people because they, a lot of people stepped out. They stepped out and, and they made a difference in this world. They had courage and they they weren't afraid to do so. But the people like uh, Jay Shetty that I like to listen to now, um, um, Simon Sinek on leadership. So those are people that I that, uh, listen to now and I've always held near and dear to my heart because of their lifestyle, the way they carry themselves, because of their character and their integrity and because of their love of humanity. And that's why I knew I was, I was a lover of humanity as a child because I remember as Chaz being my mentor, He told me that. He said, you love people, don't you? And I was 11 years old. I said, yeah, I do, but I get that from my father. But John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Jay Shetty, uh, Simon Sinek, you know, people like that, uh, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, that are all about being fair and, and, and loving and caring. And that's the type of person I am.
0: Now, 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 uh, two of the four happen to be Americans, and and the 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 latter two is certainly exceptional uh, human beings with incredible qualities that that any uh, that any citizens of citizen of any country can uh, can can respect. But it's interesting how you you mention uh, the two that you the two Americans that you mentioned. and both of those people died. Uh, certainly, the second. Of uh, of the two uh, died uh, for for very noble causes, yet also somewhat controversial. If you think that uh, that those two individuals uh, had not been assassinated, uh, how do you think the United States would be different today if those people were still living? If those people were
1: still living, uh, although some some people would think or feel like they what they said or did was controversial, I understand that. But if those people were still living, they would still be able to touch Americans with their message. We would have people that, and like we have now, we have people that remind us about living right, doing the right thing, don't hurt people, be respectful. And that was the type of um, message that they had you know, put out. Although Kennedy was uh, the president, uh, his family had a long uh, list of things that they've done for this country as well, whether it be a congressman or whatever the case may be, but You know, and then you have John, then you have Martin Luther King who was preaching, you know, turn the other cheek and and talk about humanity and civil rights. And in a way, they kind of like were on the same path with that being fair, being truthful, treat people right, everybody's equal. So I think if they're still around, that their message would be still clear. It would be be a constant reminder of who we are, who we're supposed to be, and how we're supposed to live. Not everybody's perfect. I mean, everybody has done something something wrong in one way or another in their life. But to get that message and you see those. You see the documentaries on, on on Kennedy maybe once a year. You see the documentaries on, on 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 Martin Luther King maybe once a year. But to keep that hope message alive, if it was still alive, we would have a constant reminder. And who knows how they will be thinking at this point in life?
0: Right. That, that's a good. That's a good. That's a. That's a, that's a good thought, uh, Leon. Uh, 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 if, if, if 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 there was one thing that you could do in your life to carry on the legacies of both of those people, what would you do?
1: I would definitely, one thing that I would definitely do is to talk about not being racist. Talk about, because racism in the country, it, it hurts us bad. Love Every it. time we yeah. switch presidents, the, 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 um, the, dy- the, the dynamics of leadership, of course, shifts. But not only the leadership shifts, it's the thought process that shifts. When we had a black president, the black people were happy, and some white people were happy. We have a white president now, and the white people are happy, and some black people are happy. It's just a constant shift. But my thing is, I would definitely not want people to be racist, not want people to be uh, prejudiced. I want everybody to feel like they're equal in any right. Everybody can, can go, anybody can go to Harvard. Anybody right. can get a job. Anybody can be a CEO. Anybody can you know, um, own um, land and things like that. I don't think we should be separate. You know, like we are. This country has been like that off and on for many, 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 many years. But my thing is make sure everybody is, is, is treating people with love and respect. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that because people are, uh, people are, are upset right now. But, you know, people need to be fairly treated. We, we mistreat women in this country, too. You know, so there's a lot of things that you, I would talk about. But the main thing is being fair and not being racist.
0: Would you go as far, Leon, as saying choose a candidate? for for who they are as a person and 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 their uh morals and values rather than the 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 political party they align with
1: yeah, because when you align with a political party you kind of align aligning with those that that group of people with their their vision and their thoughts and 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 the way they they, they want to um move this country forward but if you get a person in there that's that fairly that's fairly equal to with Anybody, that a person that, that has integrity and, and character intact, and it's hard to do that because I'm at the point now where my character and integrity is intact, but coming up in my 20s and 30s, even my 40s, it wasn't. So it's rare to find people like that. But they, we do have people like that, but I would rather go with somebody that has character and integrity in place as opposed to the type of party that they choose.
0: So if there was something that you could change... In the U.S., it doesn't have to be politically. It can be so, uh, so socially, uh, culturally. If there was something that you would say. You know, this would improve the quality of this country. It's it's the greatest country, in my opinion. It's the greatest country to ever form and organize in any part of the world ever. Historically, I think that I think that you know. Of course, I'm a very proud American, but I think it's the the, the, the greatest country ever. That's my opinion. But if, if but but mm-hmm. like anything great, there's there's ways to improve. If if there was one thing that right. you could say, hey, you know what? This one thing would drastically improve uh, the quality of life in this country, what would it be?
1: It would be leadership, and I'm not talking about this at the the presidential level. I'm talking about the level prior to the president, because you have people that are in leadership roles, but they're very, very weak, and you know, they don't know how to take care of people. They don't know how to understand people. They don't know how to care for people. So leadership is one thing that we need to do. Um, We need to pay more attention to. We need to put more emphasis on. We need to get... People in better leadership roles to get better people in leadership roles to uh, understand how to take care of people instead of people around here nowadays that just run around in fear. You know, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. We got these rules and laws being made and people are confused and people are breaking laws because they want to, because they can. So leadership, we need to hunker down on our leadership, Not not being like these other countries I've been to where it's a dictatorship. Not at all. We don't need that. We just need better people in better places that are better leaders that understand people more, people that have moral courage, people that have uh, empathy, people that have passion and compassion for just, you know, general just people. You don't have that enough. We have a lot of followers. We have a lot of leaders that are scared to make the right decisions. They're terrified because you make one mistake nowadays, you lose your job. We have, we're have we in, in a position where it's zero tolerance for everything. You make one mistake and people lose their job and lose their lifestyle. And so people are scared to make a decision. They are. They're scared. to hold young men and women accountable. That's why these young men and women are so very disrespectful to these adults because nobody's going to hold them
0: accountable. And would would you say would you say that that, that leadership has got to start uh, in 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 the home to make it to make a difference? Do you it think has, that's yeah,
1: one hundred percent. Because leadership starts has start at home because education starts at home. People have to understand what leadership is about. People have to understand. It. You have to respect people that has authority, that have authority or a rank, whatever the case may be. But it starts at home. A lot of these kids don't get their leadership at home because one of the parents are gone, and one of the parents are being deported, or the parents are divorced. You have a lot of broken homes. You have a lot of dysfunctional kids, so they can care less about leadership. They don't want to hear anything about it, but they need to. That needs to come to the fore- forefront. Just like they, you know, they want to build this wall, or they want to do anything else that the government wants. We need to bring the quality leaders back quality, leadership back to the forefront of things with the right people.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Leon R. Walker Jr., his book is available on Amazon, Broken, The Survival Instincts of a Child. Publisher is Gatekeeper Press out of Columbus, Ohio. Leon, do you have some final thoughts for listeners?
1: I do. Um, think inside the box. We tell people to think outside the box, and that's what they do. We've been telling them that for years. Uh, when you tell people to think outside the box, look to the left, look to the right, and they're going to look up and down. They're looking for help and looking for people, looking for guidance. Think inside the box. Take care of yourself first. Learn what your DNA is, is, is doing for you. Learn, learn what your genetics is doing for you. What, who can you become? What type of person are you going to be later on in life? What does, your parents, what does your parents pass down to you? Don't be afraid to get into things that you're unfamiliar with. Everybody's as comfortable with doing the things that they're, they're doing for the rest of life you know spread your mind open your open your mind be a visionary think big you know don't 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 believe the negative things that people are telling you believe the positive things that you tell yourself but think inside the box understand who you are figure out who you are you know get in become in tune with your dna your genetics be nice to your parents and have a good relationship with with god and those are the things that i live by every single day you're going to fail in life but when you fail fail familiar
0: all right, wonderful. Very well said. Leon, thank you for joining Winwood Radio and Discuss Your Truth. We look forward to bringing you back on the program. Thanks, Leon, for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, Leon R. Walker Jr. Again, his book is available on Amazon. He's getting some great reviews. He says, Broken, The Survival Instincts of a Child. If you know someone who's struggling... With their adolescence, perhaps, or is coming from an impoverished family, neighborhood, background. If you know someone that's in their adult life dealing with those things, get him a copy of Leon's book. I think Leon had said some things that most definitely... Caught my attention and yours. I will return momentarily with some final thoughts. This is Winwood Radio. Discuss your truth every Wednesday, five o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm Ian Hamilton Trujillo.
2: courage. Si vous voulez exister, vous exister, exister pour parler, pour vivre volet, faut pas paix, sans senti, faut de pas paix, sans doute, devant la vie, derrière la vie, depuis où senti que non dormi, si vous capouliez, pas bon, vive dans un faut sans Bobaye vérité ça cariver là on passait même là on pas j'ai ou ca crier toujours depuis depuis où qu'elle est font si ou échouez commencer devant la vie derrière la vie si ou ca pas bon vive nous sans roi et trop il y a pas
0: Karen Quitkowski will be joining us. What a discussion today. Leon Walker Jr. Karen's an American activist and commentator. Again, she received her master's in government from Harvard University with an MS in science management from the University of Alaska. She has a Ph.D. in world politics from the Catholic University of America. Her thesis was on the overt and covert war in Angola, a case study of the implementation of the Reagan Doctrine. Kwiatkowski is a retired U.S. Air Force lieutenant colonel whose assignments included duties as a Pentagon desk officer and a variety of roles for the National Security Agency. That would be the NSA. She maintains harsh... Criticism of the U.S. government's involvement in the war of in Iraq to this day. Kwiatkowski is primarily known for her insider essays with denounce. Is it going down as history? You know, is Iraq basically going out down as in U.S. history as an as another Vietnam, another failed military regime? I mean, he's sending a sending a, a, a sending a sign that uh, that that the war is is not not good. Right? Violence, no bueno. Um, hmm. If you insert Anthony Sutton into that, then uh, he'll give you an alternative view on to why we've seen so many wars in the last 150 years. Kwiatkowski is primarily known for her insider essays with denounce, which denounce a corrupting political influence on the course of military intelligence leading up to the invasion of Iraq in 2003. In 2012, she challenged the incumbent Bob Goodlatte In the Republican primary in Virginia's 6th Congressional District seat in the United States, his House of Representatives, and garnered 34% of the Republican vote on a constitutional and limited government platform. I will repeat that. She garnered 34% of the Republican vote in that race on a constitutional and limited government platform. You know, I am going to give kudos. I rarely use that word, but I just used it to Leon as he basically said Americans should get past party lines. Vote on a candidate because of who they are as a person, their values, and their morals. I mean, seriously. People, people don't vote for somebody because they are a member of one party or another? That just that's, sounds absurd to me. Was it Larry Page? or Sergey Brin, I'm not sure, one of, the, one of those founders of, of Google, uh, essentially has, has come out and said the same thing. We'll follow that up in two weeks with New York Times bestselling author Tom Hartman. And by the way, in Leon's book, Broken, he's got a, an acronym for HABIT. It's 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 incredibly it's it's a it's a wonderful acronym that you should uh, consider incorporating into your life. Buy the book and, and and check it out. People who wonder whether the glass is half full or half empty are missing the point. They're missing the point. If something's broken, it's fixable. Fix it. The glass is refillable. I love it. I'll be back next week with another discussion of truth. From the Winwood Radio Bunker, this is Winwood Radio. You've listened to Intraje and the weekly edition of Discover Truth. Until next week, be awesome.